This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. It is Tuesday, January the 12th. Uh, This program comes on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I I do pre-record it. I usually do it in the mornings of Tuesday, which I am now. And um, I've been talking about the news, you know, here and there. And that that was just one of the purposes of the program, to look at the current news and talk about how the Christians should respond. And I I did that... uh, several times over the past couple of weeks. And I, I hope uh, that you're not getting to a point where i not necessarily burned out, but that you're losing hope. Don't ever lose hope, folks. Um, I mean, do we lose battles? Do we lose wars as countries and as movements? Yes, that is possible. But when you're fighting for the good of people, to ensure freedom, the freedom to to choose, then it is vital to never lose hope. It's vital. And I believe that's what we are doing here. I believe we are fighting for our freedoms, for ourselves and our children and our children's children. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There is a lot of suppression of information out there. People think, for example, I'm not going to, my goal wasn't actually to get into this. I have a lesson that I will get to, but a lot of folks think that Trump incited the Capitol violence and the storming of the Capitol building. From what I see, and digging through all the misinformation of just the facts of things you see in videos, the timeline of events, that's impossible. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And um, <laughs> you got to dig for the truth. you got to uh, work hard to find it. They are not just taking Trump off Twitter and Facebook. They're taking a lot of people off. They're removing other social platforms to make sure you don't hear the truth. You got to work at it. Truth has to be worked for. Let's look at our Bibles at Luke chapter 13 verses 18 to 35. This is Jesus uh, teaching on the kingdom. And and when you read through this section, it, it seems a little disjointed, but we can find common ground in each one of these sections, pericopes, concerning the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, kingdom always refers to God's reign in the lives of people. But you can consider this from different perspectives. That is, you know, from the perspective of the citizens of that kingdom, or, or from the king, the law, territory, ultimate destination, and things like that. Now, Israel, the nation of Israel, had been God's kingdom from a physical perspective for for a good while. But Jesus inaugurates a new kingdom, a new kingdom that's not of this world. And and in this section of Luke 13 that we're going to look at, 18 to 35, 
We can find three aspects of kingdom being discussed here. And I want us to start with verses 18 to 21. This is Jesus talking about the progress of the kingdom. And this lesson has a lot to do with what what I was just talking about a moment ago in the introduction here. So let's read verses 18 to 21. Jesus was saying, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Okay. So there, there's two parables he gives here. This is the first one. Second one's in verses 20 to 21. And in this first one, he, he's talking about the mustard seed and the tree. And, and there's a lot of things we can talk about you know, with the parables. And a parable is, is when you have a story thrown alongside a truth. And generally, when Jesus gives a parable, there's one point he wants us to see. And that one point's the same in, in both of these parables. Uh, I just read the first one. I'll read the second one here in a second. But this first one, um, there's one point, but I, I do want to break down the parable. So you got the mustard seed. It's a very small seed. It seems insignificant. And when you when it grows, it grows into this tree. And, and it's not a huge tree. It's probably, probably about the size of a man, maybe a little taller than a man. It's not a big tree. But when you compare the size of the mustard seed to the tree, it's pretty significant. It's a huge change. Uh, in size for that tree to come from that little seed. And I, I want to uh, also emphasize the the man, he throws it out into a garden. I remember a long while ago, it was like 12, 13, 14 or 15 years ago, and I was at the Sunset School of Preaching. Um, this guy was teaching about this particular parable. I think it was, I don't know if it was this parable or another one, but he was going through this parable about the mustard seed. Jesus brings it up in other passages. And this, you know, a lot of people have them, like, they'll be encased in a bookmark or they'll have it in a little jar, you know, little, little bitty jars around their neck on a necklace. And he wanted to illustrate this, but he didn't have a mustard seed, and this girl did. She said, oh, yeah, I've had this since I was a little kid. He said, can I, can I show it to everyone? Can we take it out so everyone can see just how small it is? And she, she does, and he dropped it. Now, he dropped it just right there in front of him on the carpet. How hard could it be to find Never found it. He could never. We could never find it. We didn't find the mustard seed. That poor girl. And he felt so bad. <laughs> My point is, it's so small and insignificant. Imagine having tilled tilled some soil in the ground there, and then you throw this mustard seed out there. How hard would it be to find that mustard seed? Hard, right? That would be hard to find. Well, that's the king. And Jesus is saying that's the kingdom. And I think that's what he's saying is, that's the kingdom right now. How hard is it to find the kingdom right now? Well, it's so small. It's so small and insignificant. No one even knows it's there. Very few people. And many people who are hearing about it don't even realize what it is they're hearing. (laughs) If you went to Rome while Jesus was uh, there in Judea preaching and teaching, they would have no clue who Jesus was. Even after the death of Jesus, and he, uh, the apostles began preaching in Jerusalem, and even when Saul became Paul and started preaching for the kingdom, and he got out to those other cities talking to Jews, they would say, yeah, we, we heard about this fellow Jesus and that, that he was killed, but they don't know anything about it, really. They didn't know who he was. It's a mustard seed. It was a mustard seed. They didn't know. 
But the kingdom was going to grow into a big tree. And the birds would nest in it. And then we shouldn't get into that. It, the point is that the kingdom is going to grow. And it's going to be, it's going to grow in size, a significant change in size. That's what Jesus is trying to get the Jews to see and understand. And then he gives us another parable. At verses 20 and 21. Again, Jesus said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Okay, leaven, uh, leaven is that's, that's that yeast, right, to, to make bread rise. Three pecks of flour, that's a lot of flour. She, they're not just making two or three loaves. They're making a lot of loaves of bread. You put the yeast in there, and you knead the yeast. That means you, you, you work that yeast into the, the dough, and then you let it sit. And then Jenny does this. I've tried making bread. I fall, I'm terrible at it. Fall flat. Um, literally. No pun intended. Um, and Jenny makes it, and she'll put the dough in a, in a warm oven so that it can rise. And when you sit stand there and you watch it, you don't really see anything happening, do you? You don't actually see it rising. You walk away for about 15, 20 minutes. You come back, and it's bigger. You don't, know, you don't see what's happening, but something is happening on the inside. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And you can see that all through the book of Acts, where uh, when the, 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 the Sanhedrin, they knew something was going on. These, these apostles, they keep preaching about Jesus What's going on? Why does this keep growing? We killed Jesus. What's happening here? And then when they started really bringing the the, uh, uh, persecution on the Christians, then they left. But they kept preaching. And they kept going out further and further. And then Paul takes us out to the Gentile uh, nations and and preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles there. And at one point while he was in Ephesus, they said, this man has brought this, this teaching here, and he's turning the world upside down. Why would they say he's turning the world upside down? They didn't understand what was happening, and it kept growing. <laughs> they, they couldn't understand it. That's this. The kingdom's growing. You may not see, you may not understand, but it's happening, and it's going to happen. It's going to grow. It happens from the inside out. You, now, that's, that's another possibility that Jesus is saying is that, you know, from the inner man, from the heart, and it's growing. But I, I think it's the, the fact that people didn't understand what was going on here. And so that's point number one. That's the progress of the kingdom. Now, from here, Jesus is going to talk about the entrance into the kingdom. This sounds great. What about the entrance into the kingdom? That's verses 22 to 30. Let's look at this in, in little sections. Let's read the first two verses of that, 20, starting in verse 22. Luke writes, And he, Jesus, was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. We, we know why he's going to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? <clears throat> Good question. Now, that's a very significant question, but maybe not in the way you're thinking. For the Jews, they, they, would, uh, they received a lot of oral tradition. Handed down, you know, especially from the Pharisees. You, you may have heard about the <clears throat> all the different laws that the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish hierarchy 
had created kind of like a buffer around the law of God saying, okay, to make sure we don't break the law of God, let's set these other boundaries. Don't go past these. And they had all these rules about the Sabbath day. You, you can't walk this many times. A, a woman can't look in the mirror and fix her hair. That's work. And you, you can't do this in your house. You can't sweep or do uh, you know, There's all these, all these rules that God did not make. Man did. Oral traditions. And eventually those oral traditions were written down. And the Mishma, I think, is called in the Sanhedrin, chapter 10, verse 1. They put theirs in chapters and verses. And here's one of the oral traditions that the Jews of Jesus' time would know very well. They would know this very well. It was this one, quote, the, from the Mishma, chapter 10, verse 1. All Israelites have a share in the world to come. Well, that's pretty understandable what they're saying. Pretty much if you're an Israelite, if you're born of the child of Abraham, you're going to heaven. You're born a Jew, you get, you're in. And they would give like a couple of stipulations to that, but pretty much you're going to heaven. There's nothing, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Just be a good Jew, boom, you're there. And that's what they were taught. And then Jesus comes along, and his teachings are so different. In the, the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end, they were, they were astounded because he spoke as one with authority, and he was explaining things in a way that they could understand. That's something that their teachers could never do. And their teaching the teachers from their teachings from their teachers at that time were different. And Jesus, he was explaining. They 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 understood it and they grasped it. And this guy here in Luke 13, 20, uh, 23, he put one and one together and realized, man, Jesus, it sounds like you're saying not many people are going to make it. But that's not what I've been taught all my life. Are you saying only a few are being saved? And I can just see Jesus say. Good question. Let me answer that for you. And here's what he says, starting in verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you being begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and, and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Now, we're going to stop there. There's still 28 to 30, but I want to stop there and look at those verses. So he opens up with the word, Strive. Now, remember that in their minds, they're already saved. There is no striving. There is no struggling. Just be a good Jew. You're good. Strive comes from the Greek term agonesmai. That means to struggle or to fight, to go through the narrow door. The narrow door isn't signifying how few people are going to go, go in. It's signifying that it's truth, and truth doesn't waver. It's not this big, open, whatever path you want. It's the truth. And there's only one way to truth is through this door. And you've gonna, you're going to have to walk through it. You're going to have to accept what's on the other side of it. That's the teachings of Jesus. So you need to work at it. And it's hard to find truth, especially when there's all kinds of different teachings out there. What's the truth? Go to the Word of God. What's the truth? Don't rest your salvation on preachers or me or anyone. Find out for yourself. Don't believe everything you hear. 
unless you find it from the source, okay? It's easy to get into a tangent there. I'm going to move on. So strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, he, Jesus tells you, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. And he talks about them not being able to get in because they weren't looking for that truth. They thought they already had it. They thought they were already saved. And if you think you're already saved when you're not, you're not looking for any more truth. You think you already got it. And Jesus is telling them, you know, and one day the master of the house is going to shut that door. The door's shut. That means you can't come in anymore. And they're going to be like, hey, hello, can we come in? What's going on here? You you were with us. You taught with us. We, we ate and drank with you. I don't know who you are, Jesus says. Evildoers. Wait a minute. What do you mean, Jesus? I, I thought we're, we're Jews. We're sons and, and daughters of Abraham. Well, he goes on in verse 28. In that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. He's going to tell them one day you're going to, you're going to see the truth and you think you're following the prophets. You think you're following Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think that you're on the same path as they are, but you're not because you'll see them in the kingdom. But you won't be. You did not follow in their path. You did not. You followed your own. The entrance to the kingdom has been shut, and now it's too late. Now there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he says, uh, he goes on, uh, where am I at here? Oh, you go. And they, verse 29, and they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Well, that's pretty clear that that's the Gentile nations. You remember when Paul was out there preaching, going to the synagogues first in the book of Acts, and finally he had enough. He said, you know what? I shake the dust off of myself from you. I've tried. You don't listen. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm done trying to get you guys to see and understand. Door shut. May I give him every opportunity. Not only was he preaching truth, he had the miracles to back it up to show that he was a prophet from God. Speaking the truth, the apostle. But even with the miracles, they would not believe. Wouldn't believe. And Jesus has already said multiple times already that if you don't believe this, what else is there? There's nothing else coming. If you don't believe a miracle, well, don't know what to tell you then. And so he says, how about that? It's, you know, the, those from the east and west, north, out, from all around, they will come. They will partake of that table. And that, that verse 30 is interesting. I like this verse. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Now, when the, in the uh, Jewish era, the, the uh, Man, excuse me, the Mosaic era, you know, Gentiles were excluded. It was just the Jews. You know, so Gentiles being last in the sense that they were not part of the kingdom. But now, those who were last are first. They came in. And if there are any Jews, even though it was offered to them first, they should have been the first ones in. That's why Jesus has been preaching this whole time, trying to get his, the people to of God to come in, they rejected it. In general, they rejected it. 
They should have been first. Now they're last. Now they're last. And many will not accept. They would not accept it. You got the progress of the kingdom. The entrance into the kingdom. And now, verses 31 to 33, the obstructions to the kingdom. Verse 31. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. All right, let's stop there for a second. Anytime you see Pharisees trying to, quote, help Jesus, uh, red flag, right? Red flag. Why are they trying to help you? Oh, Jesus, they're trying to kill you. You better get out of here. We're, we're warning you what good buddies we are. Yeah, right. Now, I do believe Herod probably was interested in Jesus. Maybe he was looking to kill him. Um, but the Pharisees just wanted any reason to get Jesus to stop talking and to get out of Dodge because his teaching undermined their power. He was teaching them pretty much, hey, that oral tradition, wrong. <laughs> it's not true. Everything you've been taught, not everything, but a lot of things you've been taught, not true. You're understanding who the Messiah is going to be and what he's going to do, wrong. All that's wrong. And he began to teach them truth. Showing, pulling back the curtain to truth so that everyone could see and understand. When they, and people saw it, they were like, wow, this makes sense. And the Pharisees did not like that. Oh, Jesus, you should get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. Please leave. He, goes on, he answers them in verse 32. Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay. So he, he calls uh, Herod a fox, right? Um, well, uh, for him to call uh, Herod a fox, that, that would not be derogatory as we might understand it today, but it's certainly defiant. A fox usually is a figure for a cunning nature, and that was Herod. He said, you know, hey, I'm doing miracles. He, he lets the Pharisees know, I'm doing all these miracles. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to keep going. But on the third day, I go to Jerusalem. He's not talking about a literal three days here, but he's just talking about progress toward Jerusalem. And the, the sense of about talking about, you know, that's where the prophets, no prophet dies outside of that. He's letting them know that's where prophets die. You want me dead, Pharisees. I know that. You'll get your wish. It'll happen in Jerusalem. Of course, I don't think they heard and understood what he was saying there, but that's what he's saying. It's going to happen, but not till I get to Jerusalem. Because that's where prophets die. And that made him think, man, Jerusalem? In the, you know, the center of the Jewish nation? I wanted you to come home. I wanted to gather you together as my children. I wanted to protect you. But you would not have it. You're not. You would not have it. And so, so it is. Your house will be left to you, 
desolate. I think he's talking about the future in 70 AD when Rome would come and besiege the city, sack it, level it, destroy and burn the temple, and that pretty much ends the nation of Israel. Done. Done after that. No more. And Israel will never control Jerusalem again. Even today, they still don't control Jerusalem. And not not, not fully. And he tells them that uh, your house was left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I wonder, I, I think he is talking about the, his, his final coming. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. Because the passage he's quoting there in Psalm 118 just prior to that verse in 118 that he's quoting from, it talks about the, uh, that Jesus, that the Messiah is going to be the chief cornerstone, the one whom the chief priests rejected. They're rejecting it, but one day they will know the truth. This is our opportunity to make things right with the Lord. If you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? Times are tough. Yeah, times are crazy. But one thing is for sure. One foundation never changes. One thing's the same today, or yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's Jesus the Christ in his truth. And his invitation is always open to all those willing to hear it. And folks, there's a lot going on out there in the world. There's a lot of mistruths, a lot of suppression of the truth. And anyone who suppresses truth are hiding something. If they don't want you to know They're hiding something. And if you want to be one of those that buries their head in the sand and and just believe the lie, well, you're no different than the Jews who rejected the truth of Jesus. Why don't you want to know truth? You don't want to deal with it, maybe? Well, I'm running out of time. Maybe I shouldn't have said those things. I don't know. But I pray for my country. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray for you. Be strong. Read your Bibles. Put God first in everything. Pray for you always. And remember that Christ is with us always, even until the end of the age. Thank you, and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.